0: All right, yeah, we may not be young, we may not be pretty, we may not be right good. But we're here, we're live, and for one night only, we're going for the full Monty. A group of friends decide to make money by becoming amateur male strippers. Join us as we chat about seeing Chippendales in broad daylight, people who are really into garden gnomes, and how to end a movie on a penis. We also share our thoughts on the cancellation of Batgirl before finding out if the full Monty stands the test of time. It's the test of time. James and Alan have their say. Do
1: the movies you love still hold up today? James says Gladiator with the blood, Alan as a father blah blah it's the test of time james and alan have say the movies you love still hold up today of time and say the you love still hold up today hello everyone and welcome to the test of time podcast i'm james brief and joining me as always is my friend my buddy my pal the director of this show alan noah
0: Hey, that's me. I am Alan Noah, and today we are going to be talking about the full Monty, and because of the movie we'll be talking about today, we are recording
1: this podcast episode naked. Yes, we are. We actually had our eyes closed, and now we can open our eyes and go. Huh. Huh. Oh. Okay. All right. Well, now we know. So today we're gonna talk about that film, The Full Monty, but before we get into that movie, I want to talk about something that... It happened a couple weeks ago... And there was a lot of stuff that was going on behind the scenes... I wanted to wait a little bit before we talked about it... And that's the recent cancellation of the film Batgirl... And I'm going to say cancellation as of now... Because I'm not totally convinced we're never going to see this film... But uh, they've canceled a number of projects... That happens a lot in Hollywood... But what's strange about this one is that they have a nearly completed film, not 100% complete, but a film that they'd apparently spent $90 million on. And instead of spending the rest of the money that they have to complete it, they're just throwing it in the garbage. And as of right now, it's never going to see the light of day. It's funny
0: that you said you wanted to wait a little while to talk about this. I was thinking, I think what you were thinking, which is, They're not really going to shelve this movie. They're going to walk this back really quickly, and it's going to be an oops, just kidding, fine, we will put it on HBO Max. But no, they announced the cancellation a while ago, and it really seems like they're sticking to their guns. And if they do that... In order to get this tax write-down, which I gotta be honest, I don't fully understand exactly what that means, but apparently in order for that to work, the movie can't ever be released. If they wait a couple years and wait for the hashtag release Batgirl or whatever to start trending, and then they put it out, then they would have to pay like a big Tax penalty or whatever, which would kill the whole point of shelving it in the first place. So it seems like this might actually stay buried or not, who knows? But it is baffling when you think about it because they spent so much money on this movie. Like you said, if it's a thing where an executive greenlights a movie and then a new executive comes into a studio and the movie that was greenlit then gets shelved but, like, it was only in development or maybe even in pre-production, that shit happens. But, like, for that to happen with a movie that's nearly completed, that's just, like, mind-blowingly stupid. And the optics of it are just really terrible because the star of Batgirl is a female of color apparently the roommate or the friend character was trans the two directors were muslim i believe and like that's the movie that they can as opposed to say the flash which is going forward as planned it looks really bad
1: well we've talked about the flash before and I've said this for years, the answer to the messed up DC universe where there's a couple properties that are wildly popular and there's a couple that have just been stinkers and they, they kind of want to do a hard reset, the answer is Flash because he can basically bring the DC uh, the universe into the multiverse and say, oh, Gal Gadot and uh, and Jason Momoa, they're characters of uh, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, they'll come with us, but suddenly I'm going to turn into a different character and we may or may not have uh, you know, the same Superman or Batman and we'll be able to make up new things. Except they just can't catch a break with uh, Ezra Miller. But this film had a lot of money-making potential. This film had Michael fucking Keaton as Batman in it. That alone is going to get someone like me in the seats. That's really the reason I'm going to watch it. You don't need a movie to be good to make money. I mean, there were a lot of Transformers films. You need films that people will pay money for. And there are superhero films that people may not pay money for. I'm not sure if people want to Batgirl. I I'm saying that totally out of ignorance. I don't know how popular the character is, but what I do know is that Michael Keaton is incredibly popular as Batman now. And he's also kind of peaking as an actor, kind of his credibility. He's been like four for four for his last big films. You know, he did uh, Birdman and the, the McDonald's movie, and uh, he's done a lot of critically acclaimed films. This is going to make $100 million easily. Uh, I know, of course, it had to make probably $200 million to make money, but really, could it be that bad that it would have flopped? I'm just surprised in in that regard. Well, apparently—
0: According to Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav, it is that bad. He kept talking about the quality not being up to par. But to your point about it making money, it wasn't supposed to make money. This movie was going straight to HBO Max. So if that was the goal, then you don't need to worry about how many butts it puts in seats and how many tickets you sell because you will generate interest for the movie on the streaming service. You still want the movie to do well and capture attention, but also very recently HBO max gave a lot of fucking money to Zack Snyder to do the director's cut of justice league. And that only went to streaming. That was only to boost the profile of the streaming service. And yeah, that was a different executive who made that call, but Still, it's the same company, and it's only a couple years ago, a year ago, whatever it was. So it does feel inconsistent, and in terms of just bad optics, there's bad optics in the sense of this movie starred a a woman of color, but also just bad optics with Warner Brothers. And this company in general, they have a reputation in Hollywood that they're not the easiest company to work for, that they don't really treat their talent and their creators very well, and that reputation has been around for a while, and now they are scrapping a nearly finished movie. That's not going to earn them brownie points. That's not going to make people want to come to Warner Brothers to make the next Superman movie, Batman movie, whatever it is. That's going to make people want to go and say, eh. I wonder what's going on over at Disney. Another thing that you mentioned about the Flash and that being their way to reset the universe, apparently the plan was to do a Crisis on Infinite Earths movie, which was going to be their way of sort of doing what you said, where there used to be this Batman who looks like Michael Keaton, and there's this other Batman that looks like Ben Affleck, but now the real Batman is this one who looks like Robert Pattinson. That was going to be sort of their way of putting all of these different actors and versions of these characters together. And that would have been cool, but there's also this talk of, oh, they're going to do a reset and start over with all of the DC properties. But also that's not true because... They are releasing the Flash movie, and Ezra Miller was in Justice League, and also they're releasing Shazam 2, and they're going to keep moving forward with The Batman with Robert Pattinson, and they're making a new Joker movie, and Peacemaker on HBO is getting a second season. So it's not a hard reset. It's very confusing. It doesn't really seem to make sense, and it's just, like,
1: bewildering on every level. You know, we don't know what's going on with this actor, uh, Ezra Miller, but... The fact is, this movie is not coming out for another year. If you're going to throw $90 million away on a film, why not instead put $90 million into this film? It's going to take $100 million to redo all the scenes with another actor. But, you know, at this point, I think people are really not interested in seeing this film. It's just not looking good. and It's still a year away. Well, the analysis
0: or whatever that I read was saying that the way they can save The Flash is if Ezra Miller apologizes, says that they are sorry for their bad behavior, and that they will seek treatment, and then they can release the movie with limited press. And Ezra Miller did put out that statement about... Their mental health issues and they're seeking treatment and blah, 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 blah. So it seems like that's going to be their way to put that movie out. But if they keep on getting arrested and they keep on having all of these horrific stories about
1: them in the media, yeah, people might just not want to go and see The Flash. My final word about Batgirl is... All it takes is a thumb drive. That's really all it takes. I mean, it's not going to be officially released, but there's definitely ways, in my opinion, for this uh, film to be accidentally leaked, even though officially it probably can't be leaked if they make this uh, tax break. But the story's not done. I I don't think this story's over. Well, we will have to revisit it then
0: in the future if it takes an interesting turn But let's talk about The Full Monty. This was a movie that came out in 1997, 25 years ago. I saw it was the anniversary, and I'd never seen this movie,
1: and I'd been curious to see it. Had you seen it before? I did see it. I, I think I saw it on tape. I believe I, I rented it from the library. I don't think I saw this in the theater, but I remember this film coming out. I remember it was one of these films that gets a lot of acclaim and people are really liking it. This film was uh, The Little Engine That Good. Uh, and you're not saying that as a dick joke? I'm not saying that as a dick joke but uh, The Full Monty for people that uh, haven't seen this film or it's been a while it's a British film uh, centered around a character named Gaz he's a British guy who loses his job at a steel factory and then he learns on top of that that his ex-wife wants to sue him for child support so he's in a financial rut and at the same time he sees that a male strip show in town is attended by hundreds of paying women now that he realizes how much money can be made in a single night of strip he decides to recruit a couple of other down-and-out men to put on their own male striptease act. So there's Gaz's best friend, Dave, who's self-conscious about his weight. They then recruit their former boss, Gerald, since he knows how to dance. There's also Horse, an older gentleman, Lomper, a security guard, and Guy, who's, well, a well-endowed guy. And Gaz ensures that their ensemble will be a big hit. You know why, Al? Why? Because they are going to go... The Full Monty, completely buck naked. Wowzers. So when this movie came out in 1997, it was a pretty big hit, right? So this film, as I said, it, it was the little film that could. It was budgeted at $3.5 million, which makes sense as you watch the film. The film opened on August fifteenth, 1997, limited one of those probably, you know, uh, select theaters in New York and Los Angeles, and it opened wide on September twelfth, 1997, and it opened at number five with $2.9 million, so almost its entire budget on opening weekend. Uh, number one that weekend was a film called The Game, and we're going to be reviewing that in a few weeks. That is going to be very exciting. I have not seen that film in uh, 25 years or so, and it's going to be uh, real, real exciting to see that again. But this film wound up making $45 million domestically, so 15 times its opening weekend, but it made $257 million worldwide. So good for them, and this was a Smash hit. That is a lot of money.
0: I guess Magic Mike was a big hit, however, many years later. So there's just an appetite for movies about men taking off their clothes.
1: That is, uh, you know, more of your obvious, very good-looking male strippers and and the life that they live. But the whole point of this film is that they're not Channing Tatum. They're not Matthew McConaughey. And and it's a lot of kind of dry British humor as well. And not just British humor, but this is some thick British talking and thick British dialogue. I have to ask you, Al, like me, do you have to turn on the subtitles? I did, to be fair, I often put the
0: subtitles on when watching a movie for the podcast just because it helps me keep track of the dialogue, and I don't always like read them, but sometimes I just like to know that they're there, and then if the dogs start barking or something, I can keep watching, but yes, in this case for this movie, it was a necessity because They have thick accents and they use like a specific dialect. Like the movie takes place in Sheffield in England. And apparently there are words that are really only spoken in Sheffield. Like it's not just, you know, listening to the actors in Harry Potter speak with a British accent, but you understand what all of the words are except for the made up magic words. Like there is just stuff that, you're not going to recognize. And I got this movie on DVD from the library, and there was a special feature about translating English to English, you know, like British English (laughs) to American English. And honestly, the special feature was pretty boring, and I turned it off after one minute because it was like this woman kind of lecturing. But um, one thing that she did say that I thought was interesting was that the title of the movie, The Full Monty, they were worried that American audiences weren't going to know what that meant, Apparently, it means like going all the way, like going full throttle or something like that. It's a British equivalent of that. But I wouldn't have known that it meant being naked. Like, I know it because this movie taught me that phrase. And that's fine. Americans might not be the smartest people in the world, but
1: we can figure some stuff out, you know? Yeah, I'd never heard of The Fall Monty. But I thought some of the subtitle things were really funny. They were speaking sometimes different words than were showing up in the subtitles. Like, did you notice that there were some parts where they would say MasterCard and the subtitle would say Barclays Card? No, I did not notice that. I think they really filmed it twice. And that was the line that they drew. They're like, no one in America will understand what a Barclays card is. And there was a part where they said that um, the character's wife, uh, she's lost some weight. And she's like, I've lost uh, five pounds. And at the bottom, it says stones of what she's lost. Like, that's what the subtitle is. Little jokes that you would not understand if you didn't put on the subtitle. There's a part where one of the characters, he's in a little band on the side. And as they sit down, they start playing a song and the subtitles say they're playing the song The Stripper. You know, that's how subtitles, they will say the title of the song as they're playing. So that's why he laughs at them. Okay, guys, I get it. Like, how were we supposed to know that that song was called The Stripper? Well, you don't need to
0: know that the song is called The Stripper. It just sounds very burlesque.
1: Yes, but it is called The Stripper.
0: Yes, and that makes the joke funnier. But I think it does work even if you don't know that the name of the song is The Stripper. I picked up that nowt means nothing and summat means something, which you can kind of get because they sound like those words in American English.
1: I also did like uh, In It. Did you see that as one of these subtitles? Like, In It is Isn't It. Yes, I've heard that one before. I did think it was a little
0: bit weird that Gaz's son is named Nathan, and his nickname is Nath, like with the T-H. Like, I would think that a nickname for Nathan would be Nate, with a hard T, but I guess in England or maybe just in Sheffield, that's how they say it. But the opening of the movie is like this film strip about Sheffield and how it's like a booming town because of all the steel work. Isn't it great? And I'm doing it with an American accent. It's British in the movie. But that was a real actual film strip that was created for Sheffield, the town. (laughs) And, you know, like I kind of was wondering if that was the case. But then in the credits, I saw that like they gave some credit to the Film strip is like, oh, that's a real thing. And it kind of made me think of uh, The Simpsons. They did a, a parody of that kind of film strip about, you know, Springfield, a city on the grow. <laughs> and I don't know anything about Sheffield in England, but this idea of this town used to be booming because of the steel mill, and now the economy is bad, and all of those people are out of work that does stand the test of time. You can substitute the name of the town or the name of the industry. But unfortunately, there are lots of places like that in England, in America, around the world where the town was built around this one factory. Then the factory goes out
1: and then people are stuck. I think uh, you summarize it perfectly. This city is not a known uh, British city to Americans. It's not London, Liverpool, uh, you know. Go on, name a third manchester i mean you can just go by you know football clubs but fair (laughs) that's an easy way to do it but um that opening uh film reel is perfect that's all you need to see this is a british film but you know what you see that thing you can relate to it and these are the guys that are down and out and not necessarily losers but this is not a really you know highly employed time i think it sets the movie up uh, very quickly yeah,
0: and they get very quickly into their plan, which is that they are going to strip, and that's how they're going to make money. And Gaz, the lead character, needs money because he is divorced and he needs money for child support. It's not really clear about like why he needs this money and if she can cut him a little bit of slack and how he's going to maintain an income, you know, in order to pay child support. Regularly, because it's not like you just pay child support once, you know, hand her a couple hundred pounds, I guess, and that's it. But whatever, the point is, he needs money, and so he sees a bunch of people lined up outside of a strip club. It's women who are going to see male strippers. It looks like it's broad daylight, which I thought was a little bit weird. Like, when do you see a huge line of women in broad daylight waiting to see male strippers? Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen that at night. But certainly not in the middle of the day. That can't
1: be just a British thing, I'm guessing. Um, No, and I stayed at the uh, Sahara last year when I went to CES, a consumer electronics show. That happens to be the hotel that has Magic Mike Live. And so I will tell you that every night, not in the daytime, every night there are a lot of bachelorette parties that come into the Sahara Hotel for for that show. But you're right. It's not the kind of thing you probably show at 1 p.m., um, right. You know, I find it interesting. Um, Some of you're talking about the the whole plan here that Gaz needs child support. And in an American film, anyone who is behind in child support is instantly a bad guy they're probably avoiding child support and this guy gaz he's trying to pay the child support he really wants to and this isn't one of those situations where the ex-wife wants the child support for botox or something no this is actually like a guy really wants to support his kid and he just doesn't have the money for it you see him in the beginning trying to like steal a like a steel bar from this factory to try to get like 20 quid which is 20 pounds just to probably tide the wife over for the week at least least and yeah the guy's trying to do something he's still a loser in that like he has no job and like he doesn't seem to have any like focus and you're exactly right Al even if he makes a couple grand from this uh full Monty show what's he gonna do in six months when the money runs out right and I think that
0: there is a little bit of leaning on tropes that this movie does, where Gaz is just not the kind of guy who has a regular nine-to-five job. He can't do that, with air quotes, for whatever reason. And we know that about him, and we get it, and fine. We don't question it. Because Gaz's best friend, Dave, he eventually does go and get like a regular job working security at the department store. And you know, that's what he should do. And that's really what Gaz should do. That's what all of them should do. They should find ready work. But Gaz is a get rich quick scheme kind of a guy. And they don't Really explain why, but fine, whatever, you get it because you've seen that type of character in movies before. The thing that I thought didn't really make a lot of logical sense was their obsession with Gerald, and Gerald is their former boss at the factory, And they find out that Gerald knows how to dance because he and his wife take dance lessons. So then Gaz and Dave are like, well, we need to get Gerald to join our troupe so he can teach us how to dance so we can do our striptease. And it's like, well, why though? Why do you need Gerald? Because they clearly don't like Gerald. Gerald was their boss and he was a jerk. And hey, you're not my boss anymore. You can't talk to me. Like They have like a fight at the unemployment office. So... Gerald is taking a dance class with his wife that doesn't make him a professional dancer. Hell, go and recruit someone else who's taking that dance class. Maybe the instructor, you know, like they had other options, but they really just seem fixated on Gerald, which I get it from the point of view of the plot. It's nice if you have someone who's an enemy and then becomes a friend. Like I get that, but it didn't really make a lot of logical sense to me.
1: Um, I, I think that's a fair criticism. I think they could have made it a little more obvious why he needed to be the guy to do it but I think what they're trying to get at is like me, I do not have any natural dancing abilities. It's true, Al. Same here. But I can dance if I'm given choreography and I need someone to teach me how to do it and these guys need somebody. They know zero people who can dance and yeah, this guy can barely dance but I think this is one of these situations where in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is king and and this guy knows a little bit of dancing, so he can save the day. And they
0: know him. Even if they don't like him, they know him. So it's easier to ask someone you know to teach you a striptease dance as opposed to a stranger. I guess. I guess that's the only logic that is needed and Fine. But then Gerald is trying to get a job. He goes to a job interview because at first he's not interested in joining these male strippers. And the way that they sabotage his job interview is they like make these garden gnomes that he has dance outside of the window where Gerald can see them, but behind the interviewers. And then he's distracted by the gnomes. He blows the job interview and then he has to join their strip club scheme. But also, why do they need to sabotage his job? Also, why is he that heavily distracted by the gnomes dancing outside? I feel like he should be able to just kind of tune that out and not pay attention and just say what he needs to for the job
1: interview. So my answers to that, one, yes, they are kind of jerks for making him blow the uh, interview. And to their credit, later when he like almost starts crying to them about how like I've been trying to get a job. This is my first interview in like five months. They feel really bad. Uh, I think that at first they were just trying to like get back at their boss a little bit. But they're also being a little bit like if you get this job, you won't help us. So um, we need to sabotage the job. Again, I don't think they realize how big a deal this interview was. But the second thing about how come he was so distracted, these garden gnomes, they're weird, man. I don't get it, but the people that are into garden gnomes are really into garden gnomes. And I think they smash one of them and break it. And I think that would make someone who's obsessed with garden gnomes really pissed off and like, no, no, they're going to smash my rare garden gnome. And that's what happened. Right. I mean – I don't
0: know that I have anything for or against Garden Gnomes. I don't really get it. I don't own any. I'm not planning to buy any. But it just seems like a weird thing to collect
1: and be obsessed with. Mm. But hey, no judgment. This is a judgment-free zone. You know, there are a couple of uh, things in this film that are not just very British, but it's more that they are so non-American. There was one part, I forget which character it is, but he's he's almost uh, comically suicidal. And one of the characters says, well, you could shoot yourself. Yeah, but where are you going to find a gun? And I'm like, yeah, that's not really an American problem. Right, 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 right. Uh, That's
0: Lomper. And I'm not sure that it was totally comical that they were like making the suicide attempt. I thought that they kind of handled it with a amount of seriousness where like, yeah, the movie is a comedy, but this guy was so down on his luck, he was going to take his own life. He was trying to kill himself with carbon monoxide poisoning, but like in a field. Does that work i thought you had to be like in a garage with the door
1: shut i mean that's what i learned from office space when the guy was trying to kill himself i mean i think it'll work i mean if you just pump enough carbon monoxide carbon monoxide bonds to your red blood cells easier than uh than oxygen so i think eventually your red blood cells will get saturated with carbon monoxide so it'll probably slowly kill you you close the garage it's probably easier um i still even think that scene is kind of comical it's dark comedy but he gets out of the car at one point and then he's like no i'm gonna run back in and they just run right after him and the scene ends and then right after that they're like well you could shoot yourself yeah but where are you gonna get a gun i do think it is dark comedy i don't think he's really like damn it i can't fucking find a gun i guess i can't kill myself Right, right. I think dark comedy is fair. Also,
0: that character, Lomper, it's later revealed that he and Guy, the character who uh, is well-endowed, that's kind of all we know about him, but they have a relationship. They become lovers. And I thought that that was kind of interesting because Gaz seems to be at least a little bit casually homophobic. Like whenever he talks about the Chippendale dancers, he refers to them as poofs, which is British slang for a gay person. And they could have done something there where it's like, oh, he was homophobic, but now he sees that two of his friends are gay and, eh, that's cool, whatever, they're still his friends. They really don't do much with that. I thought that they could have done something else with that.
1: I actually really liked what they did with it because, you know what? There's a gay character in here. It's not that big a deal. Let's not make a huge deal of it. I I like that. Um, Another thing that I found that was very striking uh, from a test of time point of view is that in 1997, the actor Mark Addy, he's comically fat. Unfortunately, today, you would not cast him as, quote unquote, the fat guy or the producers would literally tell him you need to gain like 50 pounds of like comical fat, like do not eat protein shakes. We want you to eat uh, McDonald's and sticks of butter. You know,
0: I also wonder if that's a British versus American thing because we do have a big obesity problem in this country and I don't know if they do in England or not. But, like, the fact that this character is so very fat, but, like, he's really not. He's, like, maybe a little chubby. Maybe that's just American standards versus British standards. But also, it's not just that everyone else thinks he's fat. It's that he thinks he's fat. He's very self-conscious about the way he looks. And you can be just a little bit overweight or the exact right weight or underweight and still be self-conscious about the way you look. So I think that... It's fair that someone could be self-conscious, but it is kind of like played for laughs that he is, quote unquote, the fat one when he's really not that fat. Um, Did you recognize that
1: actor from something else? Um, I know Mark Addy eventually was uh, Fred Flintstone. Oh, I didn't know that. I was thinking of him in another role
0: where he was a bit heavier. He was King Robert Baratheon in
1: Game of Thrones. Oh, yes, yes, of course, yeah. So let's talk about the final act in this film. This is not an hour-long show. This seems to be like a five-minute dance number. But judging by the people that kind of came, I think they know exactly what they're there for, and this is not supposed to be an hour. Everyone's going to pay 10 or 20 quid just to kind of look at these people and just see what the hell happens. Gaz, he suddenly gets cold feet because he thinks he's going to be dancing in front of a group of women. And it turns out there's a ton of men out there and he thinks they're all there to make fun of them. And he thinks his reputation will be ruined and he doesn't want to go out after everything he's done to make this happen. Again, that kind of struck me as homophobic
0: and I agree that they don't need to make like a huge deal about the two men who are in a relationship, but that could have been the small thing that I was talking about earlier, where they hold hands and say, listen, some guys are going to see you naked. We've seen guys naked too, but who cares? It doesn't matter. That isn't brilliant writing, but you know what I mean? Like they could have done something with that there. And from a test of time perspective, the thing that I was thinking about the final scene was today what would be the thing that he would really be worried about it wouldn't be that some people in the audience are men it would be what if someone in the audience has a cell phone Right, right because right. you could do a thing of like at this very special performance we're going to check everybody's cell phones but even when they do that at some concert or stand-up show or whatever Someone could still sneak in a cell phone, and to me, that would be the thing that Gaz would be worried about today, which they don't talk about then, because obviously that wasn't a concern in 1997.
1: Yes. One last thing I want to talk about is the soundtrack in this film. I have to guess that with a $3.5 million budget, I think the fact that they probably had to go really cheap on this soundtrack really worked to its benefit. They use that song Hot Stuff. Uh, They use that a lot. And there's a really funny scene when they're all waiting in line uh, in unemployment, which I love what they call unemployment in England. Did you notice that, what they call it? Yeah, Job Club. Job Club. I love that. But you suddenly hear, "Ah, and you start seeing them like slowly move their pelvises as they're all standing in line. I think the soundtrack works, and I did like that. Yeah, I am not a huge disco
0: fan. That is not my go-to genre, but Hot Stuff is just a good disco song. Everybody loves Donna Summer. It's one of the songs that even if you don't like disco, that is the kind of song that can make you like tap your foot, which is what happens at Job Club. Also, You Sexy Thing by Hot Chocolate. That is just a great song. I right. mean, no, no qualifier, even if you don't like disco, whatever. Like, that is just a wonderful, wonderful song. Oh, and uh, You Can Leave Your Hat On, which is the song that they strip to. And, you know,
1: the very last thing that they take off is their hat. Get it. Get it. It all works. That is the final uh, scene of the film. It's a freeze frame as the boys are uh, covering their full Monty with their hats. And then the final frame is them throwing the hats in the audience, revealing from behind, we don't see it as the audience, but the audience in the film, they do get to see the full Monty. I think I had it in my head that the movie-going
0: audience sees Full frontal nudity, and that's not the case. I guess maybe that helps in terms of the ratings and also probably helps with the actors who maybe don't want to do that. Uh, But for whatever reason, I had that in my head that you do see the six penises at the end of the movie,
1: but no, you just see their butts. Absolutely correct move not to do it. It would be a complete distraction. It would be a distraction if... Tom Wilkinson has an enormous penis, you know, like it it just doesn't work that way. And I don't think that's what the audience should be focused on. It's not what kind of penises they have. It's the fact that they did this and it would not be the right freeze frame to end the film on. Yeah, I think then they would have to do like another scene of like the next day
0: and whatever. I agree. You can't can't end a movie on on six
1: penises. No, and uh, like a freeze frame and one of those that's all folks as it zooms in on one of them. That would not be the way to end the film.
0: Oh, no. Now I think they should do that. I think that would be really funny, actually.
1: Uh, Well, Al, that is how they ended the film. What do you think of 1997's The Full Monty? Does this film stand the test of time?
0: I think that the biggest criticism I can make of this film is that it's all thin. Even you, Dave, the guy who's worried about being too fat. (laughs) Haha, bad joke. Uh, But what I mean by that is the plot's pretty thin. The characterizations, the motivations, who these people are and why they do what they do, it's all pretty thin. It's pretty predictable. But I think that the movie still does work because it's not a movie about men who are going to be strippers. It's about men who are desperate and willing to do whatever it takes for their families. It's about friendship and these people coming together to do what they have to do and support each other. And, you know, times being tough and people doing what they got to do, that unfortunately stands the test of time and always will, right? Even if there's a economic boom, you know, it's a cycle, things go up and down. So I think that will always stand the test of time. Apparently, there's a new TV show that they're making, which is going to be like a sequel to The Full Monty that uh, I read somewhere was going to be on Disney Plus, and I'm pretty sure that's wrong. I think it's going to be on Hulu, but even still a Disney-owned property. And, you know, there was like a, a stage show and a musical, and this thing has been around and it has existed in the pop culture lexicon. So for all of those reasons, I think it does stand the test of time. Oh, one other criticism was that I liked in the very beginning of the movie when Gaz and Dave are walking with Nath and they're like looking at a woman and I think Gaz is like, oh, she's an eight or well, maybe a nine, but you can't really tell until you see her tits. And it's like, oh, so they're kind of setting that up that they are very judgmental of women's bodies and then people are going to judge their bodies later and they do do kind of hit that theme on the nose a bit later. I think it's when they're looking at a Playboy or something and they're like, oh, well, her body's not that great. Well, you know, people are going to say that about us. Oh, no, people are going to treat us like objects. I kind of wish they had been a little bit more subtle with that. But I get the point that it was making. And yeah, I found this movie to be very enjoyable, entertaining, funny. I liked it. I think it's a little bit weird that I never saw it before until just now, but I did enjoy it, and I think it does stand
1: the test of time. What do you think, James? Um, you know, I remembered exactly one thing about this entire film, and that was I remember the freeze frame that it ended on. And I remember nothing else except that I remembered that this film was really, really, really highly acclaimed. So here's the thing. I like this film. I think it's very charming. I think it's funny. I think all the actors are great in it. And you have a couple, uh, at the time, unknown people. Robert Carlyle and Mark Addy and uh, Tom Wilkinson all become uh, you know much more famous actors. But um, I don't know if this is a criticism of awards in general. But, you know, this film was nominated for Best Picture. And this yeah. film won Best Picture at the BAFTA Awards. It's not um, anything new. It's just so well done for what it is. It's not that long a film either. It gets to the point very quickly in the film that it's a male stripper film. It doesn't take 45 minutes to get there. Um, I will say the subtitles were very helpful in the film. That's my only criticism, but that's a criticism as an American. I mean, that's my only criticism. I'm not saying this film should not have been nominated. It, it didn't win Best Picture that year because it was, it was up against a couple other big films, uh, Goodwill Hunting, As Good As It Gets. Another film that we're going to review at some point, LA Confidential, but, um, what film did it ultimately lose at? lose to, Al, in 1998. Titanic. Exactly, yeah. So Titanic uh, swept the awards here. That's one of those, it's an honor to be nominated nominations it is charming. It's it's a very nice film, and it totally stands up. It is what it is. Sheffield is not the kind of city that everyone knows, but everyone knows a city that's down and out, and these guys are, you know, they're desperate. It's not like they're doing something illegal. They're, they're doing something unconservative and could cause them some embarrassment, but they do what they have to do to get by. It's funny, and it's kind of an uplifting film in the end. So I will say that this film does stand the test of time. Was that a dick joke? Uplifting. Uh, it was not meant to be, but it works that way.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, that's funny.
0: James, I'm really glad we did this podcast episode naked.
1: You know, Al, I'm really glad we've decided to do this podcast.
0: Aww. This movie did make me think of something about nudity and being self conscious about nudity. I'm sorry to bring this up again, but. I have spent a lot of time swimming at the Y, you know, training for the triathlon. I had to change in the locker room. And it's kind of like a stereotypical joke about how in those locker rooms, there's just old men who just wander around naked. And in my experience, it was kind of true. Like I go in, I take off my bathing suit, I put on my shorts and that's it. But there are guys in there who just walk around and they have conversations just naked, with their dicks hanging out, and then they'll go to the bathroom and they'll brush their teeth with their dicks hanging out, not wearing a towel or anything. And I found myself somewhat jealous of these guys, not because of their penises, but just because they were so confident that they just didn't care. Like, I'm not that confident. Like, I'm the kind of guy who's, like, gonna put the towel around me, change, and leave. You know, so it does require a level of confidence that I think is cool. Like, I don't know that I could do what these guys in the movie do. And I think it's kind of interesting to think about
1: it. That's great. And uh, you could think about it uh, until next week with our new episode. We do have a new theme song I want to announce that's coming next week. Yeah, most of it's the same. And it goes, James says gladiator with a gla, and Alan's run a triathlon, blah, 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 blah. Alan's run a triathlon, blah, blah, blah. Hey, Alan, did you run a triathlon?
0: Uh, there's
1: a joke that goes, how do
0: you know someone is a vegetarian? How? Because they never stop telling you. And you could make the exact same joke for how do you know that someone's run a marathon or done a triathlon? Because they never shut up about it. And I am one of those people.
1: But the reality is, do you know what it means when someone jokes about the other person running triathlons? (laughs) You're always telling me a triathlon. You know what that really means? No, what? That means they're envious that you ran a triathlon. (laughs) Oh. Of course, you ran a triathlon. That's awesome. Next year, we'll do it together. Sure, triathlon. Let's do it. All right.
0: Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to be talking about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We're going to be joined by our friend Matt from Season 14, Time for a Podcast. I'm really looking forward to watching that movie again. I've only ever seen it
1: once, so uh, that should be fun to revisit. It should be. uh, I read the novel in high school. And I actually have never seen the 2005 film. So I remember the book. I remember it being wacky and weird and funny. And I'm looking forward to revisiting it. It should be a fun time. Yes, definitely. So make
0: sure you don't miss that episode. Make sure you subscribe to whatever podcast app you listen to us on. If you're on Apple Podcasts, five stars, baby. Give us those five stars. Write us a nice review. That would make us so very happy. I'll read it on the air. And don't forget to talk to us at Testing Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.